cliffcentral.com. All right, let us turn our attention to Africa analysis, which is for some people the absolute highlight of their week. I got a nice email from somebody saying that uh, they only listen for JJ Cornish. So I'm not even offended by that because I totally understand it. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. And African Analysis is brought to you by the Johannesburg Business School, who are also brilliant. They like to keep an eye on what is happening around the African continent. They also like to pay attention to things could lead to business opportunities on this continent of ours, which is burgeoning and has the youngest consumer population in the world that is unsaturated. So if there's ever an opportunity, it has to be here. So let's find out from JJ Cornish what's happening. JJ, so nice to see you. How are you? Bonjour. Just let me complete this call. Thanks so much for writing in, Auntie Edna. Your check is in the mail. I'm very well thanked. Very, very well. Any better, uh, I'd have great. to tell the cops, eh? Well, yeah, just be careful. It's not that blue light brigade or you get beaten up on the highway. Uh, JJ, let's get straight to something which I wouldn't have known about if it wasn't for you and um, and, and, and LJ Fenter, who told me about the, the Wagner Group long before anyone else was talking about them and long before they threatened uh, Vladimir Putin and then were very quickly put in their place. What will happen to the Wagner mercenary operations in Africa as Russia tightens the screws on them, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, in pl- places like the Central African Republic, South Sudan, um, Congo, they're pretty much all over the place causing trouble. What, are they going to be suddenly be called back home? Well, Burkina Faso, Mali. Mali's the most important one as it happens right now. Mali kicked out the French. And yesterday, we'll talk about that now, uh, they voted, uh, the Security Council voted to end its peacekeeping operation in Mali. Well, the Wagner people who are behind Yevgeny Figoni were actually given three choices. Go home, uh, sign a deal, sign a contract with the defense minister uh, or, 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 you know, demobilize. The fact is now uh, that, that, Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov has said, no, they will continue their operations in Central African Republic and in Mali, certainly. In both cases, mm. they've been accused of war crimes there and, the, you know, the people being indicted. But around the world now, people, the, the countries that hate the Wagner Group for, for moving in on these two countries, uh, particularly those two countries, are uh, the U.S. is bringing in sanctions, the United, the France, which was the country booted out of Interestingly, the country that wrote the uh, resolution, drafted the resolution that will end the peacekeeping operation there, they are all having a go at the Wagner Group. But now we don't know because, you know, uh, Vladimir Putin doesn't want to have this private army uh, under the control of uh, uh, the... The former uh, chef. Yevgeny Prigonin. He doesn't want them there. But uh, the, the fact is, they are, well, he's a former hot dog salesman. And, and, and in fact, Putin, he was never Putin's chef, but Putin used to use his hot dog stand and take foreign guests there. He was so proud of it. That's why he got the nickname uh, Putin's chef. <laughs> The fact is, though, uh, that their operations, they bring in a lot of resources. They strip the country bare uh, Mm -hmm. 
and bring that into Russia. And then it, it's been argued that the Wagner Group has been bringing in money that has helped Russia in, in its operations in the Ukraine. So, th- and uh, what is keeping Prigozhin alive is the fact that he controls these people. I'm sure that Vladimir Putin, and I, uh, this would not fill you with shock and horror, I'm sure, would have bumped uh, Yevgeny off long ago if, uh, if uh, he, you know, w- once he'd shown his well, muscle in this way or shown his spite in this way. Uh, but if he controls the Wagner people who are in Africa at this time, <laughs> and it seems that Ganki is getting out of Mali faster than uh, it was planning to do. France has got out. But the, the fact is, though, they, they, they are there and the countries involved, much more. So if there is this dichotomy between the two, that will be difficult for the Russia, for the, uh, but the, the, the United States, Germany, France, the EU particularly are all trying to work ways that will allow these countries who need Wagner at this time to fight the jihadis, uh, but allow them to mm-hmm. be able to get rid of Wagner. But Wagner doesn't want to leave because, as I say, they're getting enormously rich. And that is exactly Money. why yeah. uh, Prigorin made his mutiny. Because if he had to, if these guys have to sign a deal with the, mili- with the military, then he will lose his paycheck. He will lose his job. You know, the, the parallel well, with Sudan is already, as you've already. You've already said he, he'd also lose his life. I mean, he's in yes. Belarus at the moment. And we know <laughs> Vladimir Putin doesn't mind putting a bit of polonium in your tea if uh, he doesn't need you anymore. But as you said, he does still need him in order to control these groups while they're still in Africa. Imagine how terrified Prigonin must be every time a Russian-looking man carrying an umbrella gets near him in a crowded place. <laughs> he must be absolutely terrified. The fact is, though, that he, he, he does control them. And if, he, if he'd lost his, his livelihood, uh, you know, that was exactly why he, the, the parallels with Sudan are quite incredible. Because you have this irregular force fighting the, uh, for, the army itself. And I mean, if, if we've got that kind of, uh, split up in, in, in Russia, I don't think it could be allowed to happen. Uh, but you know, you see what is happening in Sudan and how it is literally destroying that country. Uh, this is what you have when you have mercenaries or a, or an irregular force come up against the standing army. Hmm. No, it's a, it's a, it's a very ugly situation. And I don't think there's going to be any, any meaningful resolution anytime soon, but you, you have to. You have to also just have a little bit of sympathy for all those people who got hugely excited about this Prigonin guy taking over and displacing Vladimir Putin because they were, especially in the American media. They were all like, oh, well, this is great news. Anything but Putin. But this guy's a real warlord. He's a proper street fighting gangster, isn't he? Well, he was in jail for for petty crimes uh, in the last (laughs) days of the Soviet uh, government. And and then he got out. Then he, as I say, he opened his hot dog stand, which was pretty successful. And he's now a very, very rich man. He's made lots and lots of deals. Uh, so, you know, he has the capacity. Uh, once you have that kind of money to, to hide or to secure himself, you know, it's interesting what Belarus has done in that country, uh, to, uh, to broker a sort of a standoff. Uh, Putin right now is saying, no, we would have stopped them, whatever they did. But had they arrived in, in Moscow, 
uh, the, the, the kind of low resistance there had been to them in all, all the other places they'd been to uh, makes mm. one wonder. I mean, the mind boggles thinking, you know, we would never, if three weeks ago I said there's going to be a mutiny and Putin will be threatened, you'll say, take that man off the air. He's obviously been drinking his aftershave. Well, you know? but, but a bit of a damp squib in the long run anyway. And, and let's face it, I mean, you know, Prigonin and the Wagner Group have as many uh, human rights atrocities laid at their feet on this continent as possibly Putin does in Europe and, and Ukraine. So neither of them are good people. Let's just be very clear about that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, very good. People. Yeah. Uh, JJ, what about the uh, – I, I very seldom care about what the UN does, but <laughs> I'll pretend to care for this morning, and maybe you can help me understand why I should. But the UN Security Council has voted unanimously to end a 10-year peacekeeping mission in Mali. You mentioned Mali earlier. Uh, you also mentioned the EU and the Germans and the French. So what the hell's going on in Mali? Who's actually in charge? And do the UN have any clout there? Well, none now because they are, they're moving their, their peacekeepers out. They've, they've had peacekeepers. Look, France, of course, saved Mali from a coup. There was a coup and France restored order there. But the Malians have now got rid of the French and brought in the Wagner group. Now, France is the pen holder, the pen holder being the group, the country that determines or writes the resolutions and so on on a particular area. And France does that for Africa at the United Nations Security Council. So having been given the boot in Mali, it writes the resolution that will get peacekeepers, UN peacekeepers out. Of course, the Malian junta is calling for them to leave. Now, France is saying, "Okay, you want them out. We'll get them out, and they are now leaving. The fact is that Mali cannot contain the jihadis, and certainly the Wagner group are so busy uh, clearing uh, all the resources out of Mali for, to, for their own profit to actually do the fighting that they required to do. And at this time, uh, Mali uh, is, is going to need help, and that is what countries like Germany, countries like uh, the United States, are not getting uh, the, the too going down too hard on the Mali junta because they're hoping that they will in fact hold their election that they promised next year. But they need, they know that if the Sahel's going to work, they've got to get rid of the jihadis. They've got to w address that problem, which is of course as much a social problem as a military problem. And they are working mm. now. They can't work through Mali who don't want anything to do with them. They've got to work and are working more and more through Niger. And, and so that will be interesting, but it is an absolute uh, uh, mess what is happening in the Sahel. You know, we had the five Sahel countries grouping together uh, to fight the jihadis, but that grouping was actually put together by the French. The French had taken approach that, you know, very strong arm approach. You've got to strike these Mali, uh, the, the jihadis where it hurts most, a military solution. But anybody who looks at what is happening there knows that it's social issues that they have to address as much as military issues. Many and of the people who are, call themselves jihadis are, in fact, people who are without work and, and are offered some kind of future through the uh, Islamic uh, front or, or, or other uh, jihadi groups. And so, uh, you know, until, until you address those social problems, you won't get rid of the military threat. Yeah, it's something ironic also about the French offering a military solution oh, with yeah. a bunch of surrender monkeys, but okay. <laughs> uh, 
JJ, what about uh, just this this other thing that the EU are involved in? They seem to have their fingers in all kinds of pies, and maybe they want them there, and maybe they don't. But apparently, they're going to be sending election observers. They'll be the first group to send election observers to Zimbabwe. Yes, because you guys might not know this. Uh, people who are listening this morning might not know this. Next yes. month is Zimbabwean election time. Okay. Uh, and yes. uh, JJ, I, I'd like to know whether you think any of those boxes will be stuffed well before. <laughs> I, you know, the fact is I've, I've actually been observer in uh, several elections in Zimbabwe. Once I went there and uh, with a group that actually hadn't been invited but sent observers nonetheless. And uh, eventually they 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 targeted me because they knew me as a journalist. And I actually, I knew Robert Mugabe quite well. I used to go and take tea with him. Uh, but that didn't oh, help me like against his security. Oh, you sound like an objective election <laughs> observer. No wonder these elections were what? such a disaster for the last eight times. What I've the done. hell was in that tea? So eventually, I, eventually I snuck out because I thought I'd save the team that I was with, you know, from any further problems. And then I tried to, then I tried to sneak back in as a journalist and I got captured at the border and interrogated there for a, for a day and given a very hard time. Until eventually, uh, I said I was coming in as a tourist, and eventually the guy interrogating me looked at me with his sharp eyes and said, No, you are a journalist about your business. You know, that sounded like, a, I don't know, like a, a child rapist or something. But the fact is, uh, the, the EU are going to be there. And uh, I don't know, with, you know, I think what I'm hearing Chamisa's echoing Tsvangarai's words, uh, uh, Morgan, uh, I mean, Emerson Managagua, uh, is standing again. Uh, they have 11 candidates. Uh, you know, the, 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 the you know, when you talk, I talk about wandering around Africa, alternating between hope and despair. I think that's the mood that Zimbabweans will go to the polls on hope and despair because, uh, you know, they, I've seen elections actually get stolen in that country. Imagine. I, I'm not saying it can't happen again. But imagine being a Zimbabwean who's obviously living in South Africa because no Zimbabweans are living in Zimbabwe <laughs> anymore. And you hear about the EU from Brussels sending yes. a delegation. I mean, the most competent of all bureaucracies, except that they're not sending a bunch of people to watch that the ballots aren't stuffed. When the thing that's happening, the ballots being stuffed is happening in a room that the EU are not invited to be in. <laughs> this is going to be great. It's just such a win. And one of the Wait. candidates is like called the crocodile. Yeah. Yeah, it's just terrific. The fact is, you see, uh, they, you've got to, with, with elections like this, I mean, observers like myself go in for two weeks. And quite frankly, uh, we don't see everything. You know, we see a lot, but not everything. And, and we, uh, this, has been, this has been proven in places like, well, would you have nobody do it and then just ha have people run right? You know, we, we come it to this position. To result, it seems uh, to result in exactly the same thing. I, I think it is better to try something than not to try at all. You know, I don't, I don't think a wide bother approach, uh, is, is, is helpful. I think we should. And the fact is that the EU have a, not a bad record as election observers, but you have long term observers who go in for three months. So they'll go in now and start speaking to opposition parties. If there is something wrong, they will know it because the opposition parties will be 
pointing out uh, things to them right now. And then they will stay there longer than the short-term observers. So, you know, I, I know I don't know which South African groups will go there, but it it is better, uh, Gareth, we've got to admit that to have somebody looking on than to have nobody looking on at all. Well, and then, you know, as long as, it well, isn't uh, just, uh, as long as it isn't performative, because we've got enough of that going on in the world right now. And if, if they're going to do things, these long-term observers sound like they're the kind of people we need in there. The short-term ones, perhaps probably not as much. Who knows? I mean, you've actually been well, there. I'm not going to argue with you. Go to the polls, to the, on the polling day and see. And in, in, in the case of Zimbabwe, I've actually seen, you know, I, I, I worked as a journalist in Zimbabwe for a while, uh, many, many years back. So I, I knew the area I was looking at. And uh, there's an area, you know, Lake McElwain around just near near Harare. And uh, I went to speak to the opposition who had won the constituency. When I came back, they were preparing to announce that ZANU-PF had won it. And uh, I went to speak to the uh, election observer that's the, the heading the South African team. And, and uh, it was minister at the time. And I said, this is happening. And she said, well, there's nothing we can do. We're about to announce that they were free and fair, these elections, oh unless God. we can get unless we can get some evidence. So I went to speak to Morgan Changarai and said, you know, you're going to have to give evidence to the observers. Uh, I've heard that this is happening. I know I've, in one constituency, I've actually seen the theft myself. And he mm-hmm. looked at me and said, I don't have to be told what to do by journalists. Oh, boy, okay. <laughs> well, well, well I turned around uh, and walked out of the building. What could I do? Um, Bolello wants to ask you one quick thing before we go, JJ. Yeah, JJ, before we let you know, I just uh, let you go. I just want to let you know that the only thing of justice that you've spoken about was you being interrogated because that serves you bloody right for having tea with Robert Mugabe. I just, <laughs> as, as much as I love you, uh, and, and, and I truly do love you, JJ, but you should never have had tea. And bloody hell, I hope you pulled the glove out and went... <laughs> Oh, charming. Oh, you know what he used to say? <laughs> I, you know, look, I mean, I did military training like the rest. So the, the horrors you mentioned, you know, don't make my eyes water. But the fact is, I, I used to sit on the balcony or sitting on the balcony with him. And he had these two very mangy stuffed lions. And he said to me, oh, are wow. you scared of my lions? And I said, I don't believe I am, Mr. President. And he said, good. Good. I wasn't scared of his line, but I think the message was, then you'd better be scared of me. I got to know him well. uh, You know, I met him back in 1977, I think, in Maputo. And then, and then uh, at Lancaster House in '79. So I got to know him fairly well. But none of this helped me when when I fell foul of of his security (laughs) people who felt that I was writing and saying the wrong things about his government. Thank you, JJ. Always good to have you on. And uh, you won't get personal stories like that from any other journalists, I'll tell you that much, because most of them um, won't tell you that they had tea with Mugabe or that they were actually observing an election where there was crooked stuff going on. But we get all the sides from you, so we appreciate that very much. And obviously, we'll check in with you again very, very soon for more updates. Thank you, JJ Cornish and the Johannesburg Business School for sharing African analysis with us this morning.